Well, good morning. Are we awake? Good. There, one of us. Thank you. And it's the youngins. Of course, they're the ones that are awake. So um, it's good to be with you all this morning. We are going to be in First Peter, if you want to flip your Bibles over there. Um, so first off, I kind of already said it, but I want to say it again. Happy Independence Day. Happy Fourth of July. Um, I love this holiday. I don't love fireworks anymore so much because they just scare me kind of. And I don't want to spend my money on all that. One blew up in my hand one time and I don't want to go through that again. So not going to spend my money on that. But I love Independence Day because I love what it represents. Anybody else with me that you, you just appreciate this country. I mean, I love America. I I hope, I just want to take a quick minute to point out how blessed we truly are to, to just take a moment right here and to realize that this, what we are doing is an extreme blessing that we were able to sing praises to God with doors unlocked and we were able to put it online and we were able to promote it and not have any fear that somebody's gonna come and take us to jail, torture us, or even take our life. That I'm able to stand up here pretty boldly this morning and confess, as we just remembered, that Jesus died, was buried and rose again, and that he is the only way to salvation. That is a blessing that I hope that we don't overlook. Not just today on 4th of, today's the 3rd, but not just this weekend on the 4th of July, but I hope that it is something that we remember every single day that we're here, that it is a blessing to be able to gather together, as Dennis mentioned, that we are called to not forsake the assembling, but to continue to come together and stir one another up to work and good deeds. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And it is a blessing that we get to do that because we have brothers and sisters overseas who they're still doing this, but it's in basements, it's in homes, It's in smaller groups so that they're not getting caught. We have brothers and sisters overseas who are still doing this. And as we have seen, as Brenda just reminds us as she gets the request and lets us know about them, there are people who are dying for this very thing. There are people who are still gathering together under threat of life. And they're seeing that through to the point to where they're losing their life. Happy Independence Day, right? I mean, that just puts a a great mood on this service. But I I, I just want us to realize, one, this is a blessing, and it's all because of God, that he has blessed us. But I also want to open, because this this message might sound one way, and I don't want it to be construed that way, so I want to clarify one thing. I love our nation, but I'm not a citizen of our nation. That we as believers are not citizens of America. Is it possible? Because again, I love this nation. It was founded on godly principles. It was founded on godly morals, but it is not my home. The moment we make America our home, we make America an idol. And that's the series we're going through. American Idol where it's kind of a play on words, but really where it is that this is not our home. 
but that we are called to be citizens of heaven. That when you place your faith in Jesus, you kind of no longer have an earthly home, but instead you have an eternal home. Because Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says that when you give your life over to Jesus, you are a new people, you are a chosen race. He says it, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his being God's own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then Paul tells us in Philippians 3 verse 20, he straight up says, our citizenship is not on this earth. He says our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying we reside here on this earth, but we have an eternal home waiting for us. And so the question that we're gonna kind of be tackling throughout this series for the month of July as we look through First Peter is how do we live on this earth? How do we reside in America or on this earth in whatever uh, country you might end up being called to while being a citizen of heaven? And so again, I love America. I have 100% respect for the men and women who have given their life for the freedom that I get to enjoy every single day. But as believers, we cannot make America an idol because there's gonna come a time, as we just saw, our citizenship is in heaven, not on this earth. And there is going to come a time where your, your political views maybe, or your freedoms on this earth are going to collide with yourself with your your faith with your belief with your citizenship in heaven there is going to come a time it used to be that you could almost hold the two in one hand you could say i'm an american and that almost meant you're a christian we were predominantly a christian nation meaning that a majority of the nation is and was christian that our colleges were founded on biblical principles that our our laws were founded on biblical principles. But now there's been this shift where our, our freedoms are starting to conflict. There's a friction going on because I wanna hold so tight to my American freedoms and so tight to my faith and what God's word says, but what happens when they don't line up? Which one are we gonna let go of? Are we gonna loosen our grip on God's word so that we can hold so firm to our nationality and our American pride? Or are we gonna say, you know what? This, this world's not my home. I'm holding on to what God says is true, what God says is right. I'm not letting go of that. Because just look at the past two years and we see there has started to be friction. We see laws being passed, and I'm not saying that they're good laws by any means. I totally disagree with them. About sanctity of life and sanctity of marriage. About laws being passed that are going against God's word. And at some point as believers, how are we going to respond? Are we going to be angry and hateful and start screaming? 
or are we going to hold on to God's word? Because just look at the past two years with COVID. And, and let me say, I am proud of how we handled it here. Not me, I'm not saying that, I mean you. I feel like there was still love, but there was still friction. Everybody should be wearing a mask. Uncomfortable all of a sudden, right? Or everybody should not have to wear a mask. And so there's this friction of, well, if you're not wearing a mask, you're wanting to kill everybody. And if you're wearing a mask, then you're just scared and you don't actually trust God. And there was this friction, and it seems like not so much here, but definitely in the church, there was this division that was not done in love. And it's like we forgot who we're truly citizens of or where we're truly citizens of. Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that we have liberty. He says in Galatians 5, for freedom you have been set free. And then he says in 1 Corinthians, he says that you have freedom, you have liberty. If, if you want to eat that, eat that. If you want to do that, you have the freedom to do that. He says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And then he says all things are permissible, but I will not be controlled by anything. And then he ends up saying, do not use your freedom or your liberty to trounce on other people. That's my paraphrase of it. He says, do not use your liberty to stumble a brother or sister. And so how do we live in times like that, where suddenly there might be, and I feel it coming, this, this friction of, but my freedoms, but my faith, suddenly, they, they're not cohesive. They don't coincide with one another. And so that's the series you get to look forward to this, this month. And I'm excited about it because the goal through all of this is to fix our eyes on Jesus, not on our nation. I love this nation, but I can make it an idol. And I feel like a lot of other people can too. And so if you'll join me, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, if you'll just join me as we open up with a word of prayer before we go any further. Father God, we love you. And God, I thank you for your word and your truth. And God, I thank you for salvation in Jesus. And God, I truly thank you for this nation. God, for the work that it has done for your kingdom. God, just the, the principles that it was founded on and the freedom that we have. But God, let us not mistake that freedom as an idol. May we not worship it, may we only worship you. And God, may we hold firm to you and you alone. And God, even if those freedoms are taken away, may you receive glory in our lives no matter what. Speak to us this morning and transform our hearts God, soften our hearts to hear your word. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Right away, Peter's opening it up and he's saying, this is who my audience is. He says, I am writing to the exiles that have been dispersed throughout 
this area. The New King James Version calls them pilgrims. A foreigner in a land that they're temporarily, temporarily residing in. That's us. He is writing to a specific group of exiles, first century Christians, but it is the same message for us today. Because as Paul said in Philippians 3.20, we have a citizenship in heaven, not of this earth. We are pilgrims here. We are exiles here. We are living in a foreign land that this earth is not our home. That America is not our home. Because to be honest, America is going to disappear. We just went through Revelation. And we saw through it that Jesus is worthy. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is reigning. And Jesus is returning. And you know what you never see in Revelation? The United States of America. And even if you want to like read into it somehow and you're like, actually, that sounds like America. You know what the last couple chapters of Revelation talk about? The destruction of this world. America's not going to last. I hope it lasts a lot longer still until Jesus does come back. But it's not going to last. It is not our home. We have an eternal home. We are foreigners in this land, and we have to filter everything through that lens. We have to change our perspective from a here and now to an eternal. That's how we live as foreigners. Because as Peter just said, you are exiles. Paul just said, you are citizens of a different kingdom, an eternal kingdom, one that cannot be taken away. And the thing is, is that when we're exiled, when we're foreigners, when we, when we are not in this world, when we are not truly of this world, we're in this world, we're not of this world, difficulties are going to come. Because of our faith, difficulties will come. There's kind of three types of difficulties in this world. There's the first one that is self-inflicted because I'm just dumb a lot of times. And it's like, why did you do that, Andy? You're dumb. And that's a self-inflicted difficulty. There's difficulties that come because we live in a fallen world, meaning that other people are also not smart. I won't say dumb, but other people are not smart and they will do things that are wrong and therefore they will bring difficulties on me. Not because of anything I did, just because the world is fallen. But then there's a third kind of difficulty that really comes to believers. And that is the difficulty that comes because you bear the name of Jesus Christ. There is a difficulty that will come because you claim right here, right now, Jesus is my Savior and Jesus is my Lord. It is an uncomfortable thing for the world to hear. Something about the name of Jesus, they hate. Jesus tells us this specifically in John chapter 15, verse 19. Jesus says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus, when he's praying his high priestly prayer right before he goes to be crucified, he says, I have given in John 17, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And then Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, or chapter 5, verse 11, as he's going through the Beatitudes, blessed are the persecuted, or blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then he says in verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and revile you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Not because you've done something wrong, not because somebody else did something wrong to you, but blessed are you when you claim the name of Jesus and you receive insults for it because this is not your home. He goes on to say in verse 12, rejoice and be glad for great is your reward, not on this earth, great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, the world is gonna hate us, not because of what we do necessarily, but because what we do stems from whose we are. And therefore the world is gonna hate us because we are children of God. And I see this struggle in the world because when I say I see this, I'm saying it, I see it in myself. I see this struggle of, I want the world and I want Jesus. Can I have the best of both? Like, can I have the world and like acceptance in the world? Like Jesus, can we like erase that part where I'm gonna be persecuted because of you? And can we not have, like I'm a Labrador retriever, people. I love people. Can we not have where everybody loves me because I'm a Christian? Where everything goes great because I'm a Christian? But instead, Jesus said, no, actually, because you're a Christian, the world's not gonna like you. The world is gonna hate you because you claim the name of Christ. And so there's this friction of, I want the world and I want Jesus. Can I have the best of both? And John actually tells us in 1 John chapter two, he says, don't love the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, that is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God will abide forever. So don't hold on to the things of this world because they're gonna disappear. Don't don't invest your your future on the things of this world because it's all gonna disappear. Jesus, he actually says this in Luke chapter nine. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Do not love the things of this world. Do not place your future and your livelihood and your hope in the things of this world. Jesus says, store your treasures in heaven where moths cannot destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. And he says, where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Place your heart in heaven with Jesus. And here's the reality though. If you don't have Jesus, 
this world is the best it's ever going to get. Like, if you don't have Jesus, this world is your only hope. Like, man, I, and I do hope that the world gets better. You know, the Miss America pageant, what's one thing you would fit, wish for? World peace. Like, I wish that. I would love that. I'm not naive either, though. I've read Revelation. I see, I see things are going to get pretty crazy. But I lost my train of thought. Something about Miss America. Anyways, oh, yeah, there you go. If this world is your home, then you, this is the best it's going to get because, trust me, it's going to get way worse than here. But if this world is not your home, if you realize I'm an exile, exile, I'm an alien, I'm a foreigner, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, this world means nothing. I have an eternal dwelling place waiting for me. And Peter goes on to say that. He says in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. It cannot be taken away. It cannot be destroyed. It is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter is saying you have an eternal inheritance waiting for you. When you gave your life over to Jesus, you were, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance, who Peter says is just waiting for us in heaven. But it cannot perish, it will not fade, and it is undefiled. That we have something so much greater waiting for us. And that through our salvation, we can rejoice. Paul says, Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice in good times and bad times, in joys and sufferings. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Later on in that passage, he says, because I know what it is like to be content in all circumstances. I know what it is like to be hungry and well-fed, to be in need and to have plenty. I have learned the secret to it all. And then it's Philippians 4.13. Through Christ, I can do all things. He says, that's the secret to joy. To joy in sickness. Christ is my strength. I have an inheritance that cannot be taken away. Through joy of good times, my joy is not in this circumstance. My joy is in Christ, who even goes beyond this pay raise or this promotion or this gift or this happy moment. My joy is not in my circumstances. My joy is in Christ. Jesus promises that we have an eternal kingdom and that we should live as citizens of that kingdom. But he also says, when you do, difficulties are coming. And he says that in verse six. He says, in this you rejoice that we have an eternal inheritance. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than anything this world has to offer, more precious than gold that perishes, 
though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is saying that there are times that we are going to go through difficulties, and he says there are things in this world that grieve us. He said even if in the moment you grieve, which is necessary, he says we rejoice even through those moments. Not meaning, hey, everything is great, I'm going to throw a smile on, but meaning I have a hope that goes beyond this circumstance. He said in this, not this being your circumstance, this being you have an eternal dwelling place waiting for you. He said in this, you rejoice. He's saying align your views because these trials are going to come. And actually these trials can be beneficial if we look at them through the proper lenses. Because even Jane says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of various kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And so Peter is saying that even if you grieve, you rejoice knowing that your hope is in the Lord. And then he says that when we go through these trials, they reveal things to us. They reveal, where is my hope? What am I standing on? It is easy to have solid theology when everything is going great. Somebody give you a million dollars? Hallelujah, praise God, he is good. He gave me a million dollars. I mean, yeah, that's pretty easy to have faith in that moment. Lose your house? Lose your freedoms? Be like Paul and be thrown in prison? And he's able to say, you know what? My faith is not in any of that stuff. My faith is in Christ. And so I can easily say, rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice what is it that we are building our hope on? Jesus says it in the parable of the, the builders in Matthew chapter 7. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, how do you have that solid theology in the midst of a storm? Hear the word of God and then do it. He says, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock, the rock being Jesus. And everyone who hears these words, notice they're just hearing, but they're not doing. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So you got the foolish man who's staking his future. Like maybe he had a really fancy house and he was like, you know what? We're gonna build it up nice. I got the nicer interior. I got the, the nice backsplash, the walk-in showers, the entertainment room. I mean, it's like 8,000 square feet. It is huge and it is beautiful and that's my future. And then the floods come. And it doesn't matter how big and fancy of a house you build it. If the foundation is off, that thing is coming down. Build your foundation on Christ. Even if it is a shack, it is better. Because David, he says in the Psalms, you know what, I don't, I don't wish for a huge mansion to dwell in. One thing I wish, this is what I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and that I, and that I may look upon his face. If there were never any trials, would you even know that you had a faith in Jesus? 
When things are good, are you hitting your knees praying to God for strength? Or when things are bad, that's when we go to God. It should be both. But usually it's, oh man, that's terrible. Paul, he knew what it was like. He said three times in First or Second Corinthians chapter 12, three times I pleaded with God to remove this thorn from my side. And each time I got the same response. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more in my weaknesses. When we are in trials, that's when our, our faith is strengthened. And that's why we go through the trials. Again, some of them are self-inflicted, and that's really just on us. But when we change our perspective of how we look at trials, God, I'm standing on you. What does your word say? How, how are you going to lead me? How is your spirit going to guide me in handling this? God, I need you now. I need you now. I need you now. We are dependent on God. In weakness, his power is made perfect. Because Jesus tells us also that we face trials just because there's an enemy out there that hates us. Because you are a child of God. You are in a battle. John 10, 10 says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, he came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And we are told by Peter, stand firm in the faith. Verse 8, Peter said, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a, with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That we have an eternity waiting for us. So we stand firm in our faith, knowing that when we do, we will receive the reward that is stored up in heaven for us. And so Peter, he then goes on in verse 13 and says, this is how you should live. Since you are not a citizen of this world, this is how you should live. Therefore, because you are in exile, because you are preparing yourself for an eternal glory, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Why? Because there's an enemy out there. And his only goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. So prepare your mind for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. How should we live while we wait? How do we live as, as citizens of heaven, residents of earth, as holy people? Remember 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people set apart by God. Live as holy people. What does holy mean? You're set apart from the world. I look at the world. I look at believers. It should not look the same. There should be a difference. We should set ourselves apart. And the way we do that is by being alert, being sober-minded, constantly being aware, constantly knowing we're in a battle, that, that we live 
in an eternal perspective. And then Peter said in 1 Peter 1.13, he already said this, but I want to point it out. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed when Jesus comes back. Set your hope fully. Don't have a little bit in the stock market and then the rest on Jesus. Or a little bit on maybe getting that promotion and a little bit on something else and then, you know, Jesus can have the leftover. He says, set your hope fully, 100% on Jesus in all circumstances. You know, as difficulties come upon the world, as, as we hear about the next war, the next pandemic, the next civil unrest, there should be a calming peace among believers. I truly believe that. That believers should not be the ones up in arms raise, making the most noise. We speak the truth, but we do it in control, sober-minded. But there should be a peace about it. Because we know this is not my home. I have an eternal dwelling place waiting for me. You know, it, it honestly seems like as I scroll through social media, maybe it's just because I'm mainly friends with Christians, but they are some of the meanest people out there. I mean, it is like, hey, I'm just going to clickbait. I'm going to say this so that people will look at it. And then I'm just going to say what people will reassure me with. And I'm going to stick it to everybody. And I mean, you do you. But I don't think it's glorifying to God. We should be speaking with hope, with joy, with a peace that is inexpressible. We speak the truth. Don't get me wrong. Speak the truth. But always point to Jesus in which our hope is fully rested upon. You see, there are going to be storms in life, but Christians should have a peace about it. Man, like, didn't you read the news? Aren't you scared? I mean, yeah, that's kind of disturbing, but Jesus is on the throne. I've read Revelation. I know how it ends. He's returning. He's taking me home. Braveheart here, I always want to say, you can take my land. You can take my life. You're not taking my freedom. It belongs to Jesus because for freedom, Christ has set me free. There should be a calm about believers. We see this kind of in Matthew, metaphorically here. Literal event, metaphorical meaning. When Jesus got in the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. How many people are screaming that right now? Jesus, save us. It seems like you have no control. Are you actually asleep right now? Jesus says to them, why are you afraid? Well, uh, Jesus, there's a storm and we're all about to die. That's why we're afraid. He says, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Not that there's not a storm going on. There is, but your faith is not in me. Set your faith fully on Jesus. You see, there's an idol in America, especially in American Christianity. And it's called comfort. And we love it. Again, by we, I mean me. The we can be flipped around. Anyways, I love comfort. Think about it. I mean, you don't have to respond. Has this message made you uncomfortable maybe? 
Because it's like, wait a minute, I love America, and you're kind of stomping on my nationality here. I want to be comfortable. I want to hear messages that just kind of build me up and make me feel good about myself. Or even, you know what, I feel like I should go talk to that person, but I'm just not really comfortable with that. You know, I feel like I should wake up and do that, but my bed's just a little more comfortable than gathering, praying, reading. I'm too comfortable. There's an idol of comfort. C.S. Lewis, I love this when I read it. He said, if you want a comfortable religion, I definitely don't recommend Christianity. Choose a different one, Buddhism or is, uh, uh, one of the other ones. There's plenty to choose. Christianity will not make you comfortable. It should not. Because there should be a friction that we feel as we are residents on earth, but citizens of heaven. And therefore, we set our hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed when Jesus comes back. And why? Because of verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish, or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. You see, Jesus ransomed you from sin and from death. He bought you from this world and gave you an eternal inheritance, an eternal hope. If, if he wasn't certain of that, he would not have gone to the cross. He guaranteed it by giving his life for you and by being raised from the dead. Therefore saying it is finished, the work's been done, and the empty grave means it has been received by, Jesus, by God. And that right there, knowing As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, man, if our hope is only in in this life in Jesus, we're above all people to be pitied. But then he says, but thanks be to God in Christ Jesus. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is raised from the dead and therefore we have a hope beyond this world. If Jesus is dead, this world is my only hope. Because Jesus is not dead, I have a hope that goes beyond this world. And that's whose you are. When you believe in Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And as Ephesians says, he chose us. He adopted you. He ransomed you from death and sin. That right there tells you what your value is. You wanna know how you determine the value of something? You see how much somebody's willing to pay for it. I mean, you find a little coin from like 1900s or even 1776, and that thing used to be worth one penny, but now somebody is willing to pay a lot of money for that. You wanna know what your value is? Jesus paid his life for you. He did not put a lump sum of money on it. He said their value is worth so much that I'm willing to give my life 
so that they can be in connection with God, so that they can have an eternal hope that goes beyond this world. For God so loved the world. That's why he did it. What appears to be trash to somebody is valuable to somebody else. And you may even be like, I, I have no value. Jesus gave his life for you. For you. That's your value. That Jesus gave the ultimate price to let you know what your value is. First Peter 1, 13 through 19, because of that. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action because you have been ransomed by Jesus. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your hope and your faith are in God. What is it that you are setting your hope on? Father God, we thank you as we read, God, you ransomed us. You set us free. God, you, you have given us an eternal inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And God, we are left here to reside on this earth until you call us home. And so I just pray, as, as Peter said in verse 13, may we set our hope fully on you. God, show us what things in this life we are making idols and help us break them down so that we can lift you up and just find our hope only in you. God, we need you to help us through this. So open our hearts to it. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this.